Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone and welcome to the Luxport Media League One podcast. This week we'll be talking about some of the games from the weekend, but uh, Appleton replacements at Charlton and as the transfer window comes to a close, we'll be talking about some players that maybe have still got moves to come before the end of the window. So I'm JB Johnson, I'll be the host this week, but with me I've got three fantastic co-hosts. Sam, first of all, how are you? Hello, I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, Joe. And Ollie? Yep, always good on a weekend when Stephen just get back in the top six. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be talking about Stephen who's later on. And a podcast debut, Callum, how are you? Hi, Jamie. Yeah, uh, yeah, nice to be here. Nice to be here to uh, to make my debut on the pod. Lincoln massive for myself and you, Callum. Yeah, dominated by Lincoln. This is 50% Lincoln talk. So that <laughs> nil-nil draw against Peter is going to be uh, a lot of fun to talk about. Every minute we'll have to be dissected to get something out of that. So. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't an all time classic, I think. No, definitely not. Uh, but we'll start. So the seemingly the, the most important or the most talked about uh, aspect of the minute is Michael Appleton leaving Charlton. He's finally left. We talked about it for a few weeks, and it eventually happened. Uh, before we talk about who might be replacing him, what do we sort of think about the fact that he has gone now after all the speculation and talk? We spoke. We said was... last week, didn't we? That obviously they backed him so much in terms of money that had come, transfers coming in, and it kind of felt like, well, if they just picked up a few points, then at least the board could sit there and say, "Well, do you know what? We can write off the season." But the losses just keep keep, keep mounting up, don't they? And you know, not to great sides. Um, yeah, I think it was obviously going to be a case of he had to turn it around quickly, or the trigger was going to get pulled, wasn't it? I think it's the one of the. <sighs> If you've lost the fans as well, they like lost the fans within like seven or eight games, didn't they? And trying to get a fan base of Charlton stature back on your side while not playing pretty football as well. They didn't really have an identity. They went and spent, I think it was like two million pounds on players already. They've loaned in four or five as well. And they were incredibly lucky to even get a point this weekend. And if they didn't, I think they'd have been two points above the bottom four. And I'm pretty sure they've played a couple of games more than... Uh, Carl, uh, the chasing pack as well, which I think is uh, Reading at the top. Um, so in Charlton's perspective, they're probably 99.9% in a relegation battle, to be honest. And it's one of them where at this point in the season, you need a bit of luck. And they did get that luck in their game, but their players have no, seem, seemingly have no confidence. The pl- fans quickly get on the players' backs and when you're in that kind of situation, I can understand them getting on their backs because they haven't won for, which seems like an eternity. I think it's November since they last actually won a football match. But you need the whole club trying to pull in the same direction sort of now to try and get them away 
from the danger. If they went to League Two, that would for a club like Charlton would be an absolute travesty. And I know they've got Charlie Medvin there, who's a bit of a nutter anyway, um, as we learned from that Sunderland Till I Die documentary. Um, so it, the next appointment for Charlton is massive, absolutely massive. It's strange, isn't it? Because obviously we we spoke about um, Exeter a lot and how much Caldwell was under pressure, and we kind of talk about the fact that Charlton are now getting dragged into a relegation battle, but back-to-back wins there and suddenly they're 14th and you look at them and think oh you know they're, they're quite nice nicely safe and it feels like pressure's ease like you know I, I, I can't be a million miles away from and i know they have been performance wise but the squad there can't be a million mi- miles away from a couple of back-to-back wins and just suddenly be a mid-table right you, you'd like uh, to think so i mean i always split league one into you know that the teams that you know should really be in the top half you look at your derbies your portsmouth the teams with these resources and then you look at the the lower end of the teams that should be you know stereotypically your carlisles etc and you really think charlton should be one of those teams that are constantly pushing in that other end and you know they're really underperforming we saw this with oxford last year of course didn't we they were they were struggling so it feels like this next appointment it has to be if not a statement one, it has to be a smart one to almost push them back up to where they belong in those playoffs. Realistically, they should be aiming for that automatic promotion for, for next season. You've got to think it's it's almost a bit of a rebuild job now. Yeah, I think your point, Sam, about the fact that he lost the fans, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? As soon as you lose the fans, it's it's an uphill battle that there was only ever going to be one winner in a way and he was, he was always going to go eventually. But you talked about the replacement uh, Callum and Nathan Jones is the current favourite. I don't know what we think about that. It, it, he's, I think it's one to four at the time of recording that he's um, so much has on compared to who's following him in the, the betting odds. So, I mean, that surprises me how how much of a favourite, but that would be the statement appointment, isn't it? Like you said, Callum. Yeah, that would be the statement. The other the other top five were, were Mark Warburton, Gary Wower, Alex Neal and Michael Duff. So, you know, you, you're not talking small names here. And obviously Charlton, the size of the stadium, you know, it's a club with with big resources. I did see a few of the uh, the other outside names, of course. Uh, Darren Moore, who, of course, relieved of his duties. Um, Mark Kennedy is apparently 33 to 1, according to uh, according to the odds. Uh, and Steve Cottrell, the uh, appointed Forest Green Rovers manager, of course, not too long ago, he's apparently 50 to 1 for the odds. So the same sure managers are like, Warner could be in there somewhere. So the, the yeah, managers are always in there. I think he's yeah. sixth. I think he's sixth favorite for the job, despite retiring about five times. But no, it has to be a smart manager, but one that also is a statement, but also one prepared for for the rebuild as well. I think I'd I'd quite like to see Michael Duff rock up there. I think that having gone to Swansea and that having gone obviously not not exactly how you'd like it to go there in short short period of time. I think it's quite a good opportunity to kind of rebuild a reputation at a level that he's always been successful with. Obviously, Alfie May is already there, um, who he's got a great record with. Um, yeah, I, I, I think if I was a Charlton fan, I think of the names that are there, I think Duff would be the one that would excite me the most. Yeah, I would agree. Um, obviously, worked wonders with a miracle, a very tiny budget at Cheltenham. Um, if I was, I would look at someone like Gary Rowett personally, which is kind of a, a bit more left field. Um, he's obviously been local being at Millwall previously, and it might be a, a difficult one to pull off because he might not want to drop down a division with maybe even two divisions if it all goes pear shapes. Um, but the squad they've got there, they've got players. You've got Alfie May, you've got uh, Lloyd Jones, uh, you've got Maynard Brewer, you've got, even like I know Ladapo's only on loan, but you've got Ladapo, you've got Dobson. Um, that The squad is capable of a a top six finish and they if they get the right manager in they should comfortably stay up um but you i think you need someone who is a bit more experienced personally and i i think gary Rowe would be the man for for me so you mentioned losing the fans i i was you know i grew up in burton when gary Rowe was was in charge of the club there and he really knew how to cultivate this kind of community atmosphere and you know we, we've kind of seen it at his, his other jobs as well but if you give gary Rao at that time you know, he will cultivate a proper following as not only a manager, but as almost like a community club. So I think in terms of a smart appointment, that's also a statement. Gary's got to be up there. 
they got a prime away from the Sky Sports studio for that one, don't they? He's, <laughs> like, <laughs> he's always on Sky, is he? But I mean, like, I, interesting what you said there, kind of about uh, going around sort of cultivating a nice um, atmosphere because I think that's what Nathan Jones is the best at in sort of how he did at Luton of just that it was such a tight knit um, team and squad and the fan base they're all so closely knit together. And I think that what that is what Charlton needs. It's someone who can sort of get a hold of not just the team but the whole club and really get them together again and sort of sort things out in quite a aggressive way rather than sort of a, a maybe a, a short-term solution. They need someone who's going to go in and rip it up and start up again, really, because I think that that's the situation they're in. It, it needs starting a, a rebuild, isn't it, like we said? So, yeah. I think the concerning thing for me with Nathan, the only concerning thing with Nathan Jones for me is I know these are poison chalice. He went in at Stoke and failed. He went. I know Southampton got relegated, and but the squad. I still think the Southampton squad was actually all right. He got mm. relegated, and I think the mm. only actual game he won was like that City game in the cup. Um, <laughs> he obviously did well in his two spells at Luton. But would he be there for a long-term project at someone like Charlton, or would he see he'd go in for let's say six months? have them fighting in the top six at the start of next season, see a bigger job come available and they just sod off. I was going to say the same as you, actually. I think that the parallels between the situation at Stoke, kind of thinking they're more of a bigger fish than they are in the championship compared to Charlton's situation right now. Not, you know, the squad's obviously a lot better, like we've said, than, than Stoke's was in the championship, but they're not a million miles away from those two jobs, are they? And it didn't exactly, it didn't exactly go well for him at Stoke, so... I feel like writing mm-hmm. off Mark Kennedy too soon. I'm sure Charlton fans would love Kennedy ball. You know, <laughs> this would just be a, be a great, attractive style of football for those Charlton fans to get behind. He was taking the island job, kind of. What you're on about? He was off. Oh, that's why he left. Yeah, of course, um, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> so the other bit of news really uh, is the Shrewsbury. They've got a new manager in, haven't they? Paul Hurst, and they beat Northampton at the weekend. Um, they're currently in 15. They're only six points off the top 10, so they're not in a bad position. And sort of Paul Hurst, I think, maybe is the man that can push them a little bit further up the table, Sam. I know you're a big fan of Shrews, but I'm sure you've got some <laughs> I was waiting for you to come to me first. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was actually their fifth and sixth away goals of the season at, week, at the weekend. So well, well done, Shrewsbury Town, scoring two goals. Um, it was actually only the third time they've actually played a back four this season as well. Um, and when, when Paul Hurst was reappointed last week, it, I wasn't overly optimistic for them. He failed. I know, again, going at Scunthorpe was obviously very difficult, but failed at Scunthorpe. Drump ship at Shrewsbury, nicked all their players and failed at Ipswich. And ultimately that squad then got relegated. He then went to Grimsby in the National League, obviously got them promoted and had a beautiful FA Cup run last year, but had a, done really, really poorly this season. Um, obviously Shrewsbury have been garbage this season. Um, that's my favourite word to describe Shrewsbury at the moment. Um, and a team that doesn't score goals, maybe maybe he's gone in and just given them a bit more freedom than Matt Taylor has. Um, obviously, playing a more attacking system may have helped them to actually score more goals, but I wouldn't read too much into a, the first result under his management. Maybe we'll look in five games' time when he's had a bit more time to stamp his authority on the, on the team. Um and then we'll go from there. But I still think they're in a relegation battle. To have six away goals in what we in the end of January is still pretty dismal. I do think that's quite quite an eyebrow raising result, that though, isn't it? I mean, Northampton were on mm. very decent form themselves. Um, say they've got gone gone away there, had sixteen shots, way more than we would be looking at in terms of what they've been producing for away games for most of the season. So to have that much impact, I know we well we both said last week, Sam, didn't we? How we weren't exactly enamoured by the mm. idea of him going there but yeah definitely a pos- positive start isn't it yeah 100 you can't you can't go wrong with a 2-0 professional away win though that, that is a typical jose Mourinho 2-0 away win <laughs> everyone's happy you scored two goals you kept a clean sheet everyone's happy except the northampton fans and like I said, Ollie, Northampton are a good side. I think they sort of. I think people can forget how good Northampton are when you sort of like you see the other teams in the division. But I, I think they're an underrated side in the division. It's not an easy place to go and get three points. So, an interesting one there, and maybe that is um, the appointment that will sort of tick them forward. Like you said, Sam, with the um, a bit of belief back in the players. But a place, another place that needs a lot of belief putting in the players is Fleetwoods, rock bottom of the table. 
They've not won in 14 games, stretching back to the middle of November, but they got a point at the weekend, their first point since Boxing Day. They almost won as well, but a point nonetheless against Wickham. I think it was 2-2, and it's not it's not a bad result, is it, for Charlie Adam? Oh, I don't know. It's not a bad result. I guess I'm on paper, is it, in the situation they're in, but it was probably as good a chance they were going to get to get a win. Wickham are the 20, a 22nd in the table across the last 15 league games and have only got three more points than Fleetwood. So in terms of kind of what you could wish for as to where you're going to get some points, going to a side that are in that sort of form and then taking a 2-0 lead, if you can't win there, um, well, where, where, where does it come from? I mean, it doesn't obviously help the players are thrown it away with a silly second yellow, giving away two penalties. The, 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 the second pen is one of those ones, again, where centre-back's got his hands above his head for absolutely no reason at all. Um, hits his hands and then obviously Wickham then score and then get the late one. Um, yeah, like, where, where are they going to get a win? I, 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 can't, I can't see where that comes from um, when, when, when you're doing that much to throw away a lead there. It's a really silly second yellow as well. He completely did a heavy touch. And I know it's a reaction to try and reach the ball, but when you're on a yellow card already, it's such a such a stupid and you're two 0 up as well, away from home, in a place where they're not going to have any confidence, like you say, they're really low in the form table. And a place with no confidence. the fans are already on the team's back because they're two 0 down to the worst team in the league. And you it's a pretty stupid challenge. It is a pretty stupid challenge. And, and in the end, I think that actually cost them the game. Um, the two penalties are penalties. The referee got both right. And it could be a vital point in the end for Wickham um, with the way they're actually going. Because I didn't realise Wickham have actually got the fourth lowest attendance in the League One as well. I thought Wickham would be sort of upper mid-table sort of thing with their attendances, but they're actually the fourth lowest. Um, and I think Matt Bloomfield should be under pressure if he isn't already. How, how is he still in the job? They've won one <laughs> game since October 8th. <laughs> Like, but, but if you listen to Bloomfield, all he goes on about is, oh, we played well, we had X amount of shots. But yes, but you're not scoring goals. You can't, you're not defending very well either. Fans don't, you're a club legend there. And I think that's the only reason he's got a bit more time, possibly. He's a club, I, like he played 400 odd games for them. And that's the only thing I can think of that is keeping him actually in the job. If he makes it through their next four games where they've got to face three of the top seven, and they don't pick up points. I mean, is that is Ainsworth still available? He's, he's, he is, isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, he's out of a job. Just, yeah, that just feels like such a, an easy like soul for everyone, doesn't it? Like, I, I can't I can't believe how long this has gone on. No, that fleet that control would get I'll get Gareth Ainsworth back in for Wickham. Control off a control alt Ainsworth. I think is uh, is what they refer to <laughs> as. No, in that in that run of of not picking up a win, they've only scored seven goals in all competitions which you know is is worrying isn't it you know let alone having a leaky defense you can always try and outscore but if you're not even hitting the back of the net granted Lincoln have only scored four goals since their last win in, against Cambridge so we, we you know maybe don't use that rhetoric as a Lincoln fan but you know if if you're at least trying to win a game by scoring more goals than your opposition it's it's really not going very well for them at the moment yeah, well, we'll we'll come to Lincoln. Um, some interesting... We don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> some interesting topics to pick up. Maybe I'm a bit more optimistic than you are, Callum, but we'll get there um, in a few minutes. The, the opposite end of the table from uh, Fleetwood, obviously the top of the table, Portsmouth, they left it late, but managed to get um, the win. Sort of hanging on to that top spot, aren't they? But they're still top of the table, which is the, the important part. Still not just not convincing, are they? I think we said last week they've got like a nice, nice run of fixtures. They they've got to put, they, they they've got to come out and win some games convincingly, haven't they? To get like it feels like your Boltons, Derby's, Peterborough, and obviously um, Derby and Peterborough haven't had great results in the last couple, but um, they feel that they, they feel just so much momentum behind them, and Portsmouth just feel like they're sort of floating there, waiting to be overtaken. Um, yeah, and another result. I'm not. I was. Like, I keep hoping to see Portsmouth like pick, like pick up steam again and and just go go and beat someone three nil, four nil, or or at least at least put a, a performance together that makes you think that they're gonna maintain um, that top spot. I'm not seeing it. I mean, if yeah. you assume that if you assume Bolton and Peterborough win their games in hand, then you know 
Portsmouth are out of the automatics. So it, it's... Oh, they, but then saying that, of course, they, they have won the last two, and even though it's unconvincing, you know, three points are three points regardless of, of how you get them. So sometimes you have to grind out those results regardless of the luck involved, some would say, with the penalty, regardless of the performance. At the end of the day, it's the three points that get you to the top of the table. So, you know... I suppose Portsmouth fans might be concerned by the manner that they're winning, but I suppose they won't be too concerned if they're still, as I suppose, you know, you've got those two defeats in the last five, but if they still win, then they I win. Think if, I think if we were in March and they were, or you know, late February even, and they were winning games like this, you'd be thinking, okay, well, they're just doing what they need to do. I think with so many games still left, the fact that it has been such a long while since they put on a convincing performance, I think is more is more indicative of where they're, sort of heading towards than anything else. I think the signing of um, Pert Harris they made last week, he had a really, really good game at the weekend. Um, six dribbles into the final third. So he looks like a a midfielder that might help Colby Bishop as well in terms of creating even more chances for him. And obviously they signed Callum Lang from Wigan today as well. And he, he will add um, a goal threat and goals out wide as well. So maybe it will be creating more chances and also hopefully taking the pressure off Colby Bishop. Um but I, th- I do, it's it's the same every year with Portsmouth though. Um, they get to this point in the season and then they grind out results for a couple of weeks and then by the end of February, they're fourth and their fans are all pissed off. And and we've also got to remember that it's Massinho's first actual management job as well. So it's now mm-hmm. coming to a point where people actually now work out how his teams play. Because it does, it does take time because he can change little, little tactical tweaks, but people then work out them little tactical tweaks and it's then how he adapts to the situation as well so it why you've got the pressure of managing such a big football club at league one and that's pressure on the players automatically he has got pressure on himself as well to show his tactical now in games to change it up and stuff like that do you think it's one of those there Sam that they can pick up uh, sort of the three points against Port Vale but nicking a goal quite late on do you think that's the sort of thing that could boost them back into a, a run of form that they're managing to pick up points without playing very well I think that's a sign of league winners um, picking up points when you're not playing well. Um, but it's been a number of weeks that they haven't played well now. And I think performance performances eventually catch up with you. Sometimes you can grind out results and having one every five or six is OK. But it's a, an accumulation of poor performances now. Yes, they're grinding out results, but before I always think performances always catch up with you in terms of point return in the end. Hmm. The the chasing pack, they're sort of they're all there, aren't they? Breathing down the neck. Um, Bolton, like we said, two points behind with their games in hand. Peterborough and Derby both three points behind Portsmouth. But one of the teams that slipped up at the weekend was Barnsley. They're now seven points off the top, but five points off the uh, the automatics. They lost to Exeter, didn't they? Is that a sort of slip up that we think will will cost them in the long run? Maybe with those teams above them not losing games in a couple of draws, but they're not losing games as Barnsley slipping up at home to Exeter. They've got a really big game this weekend. They go to uh, they go to Bolton, um, which I think if they lose that, then keeping pace with the autos suddenly looks difficult. They'll be I think they're currently five points outside the autos and they play the game more. So if you lose to Bolton at the weekend as well on top of that, you know, you're suddenly looking at potentially being eight, eleven points behind, um, you know, not not too distant future. So um they've they've done a really good job, haven't they? Put put a really, really good run together. Um, and I think it's their first league defeat since November. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think fans will, you know, look at that as a standalone result and be concerned as such. Um, you know, there's a couple of chances that were that were sort of very, very close. I think Exeter had a really, really good first half. Could have been three 0 up if I think um, Sunny Cox hit the post. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think. In a situation where you're in such a good run that Barnsley are in, I think as a fan, you can write a, write a result like that off. As disappointing as it is to lose at home to a side in the lower reach of the table, um, I don't I don't see it derailing them massively. Uh, I mean, the no. two goals that Exeter scored themselves were were two brilliant goals. Like we we shouldn't, you know, they weren't, you know, Exeter weren't poor by any stretch of them. You know, they 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 got the win at the end of the day, but they were two good goals. And the, for, for most of the match, it was Barnsley that looked like the team on top. So I don't think fans, like we say, it's kind of the opposite of Portsmouth, really. 
the performance itself was was good, but they didn't get the three points. So where do you, where it's, it's not, I suppose it's where you stand on that kind of thing. How important is the three points versus the manner of the performance? I guess. I do think we might owe Gary Caldwell a bit of an apology though. We've been calling him to go for months, and then they beat Bristol Rovers and Barnsley back to back away from home. Like where on earth does that come from? Yeah, their top scorer still only has three, and that's sort of a Sonny Cox, Reese Cole, um, some geese who now went back from his loan. Um, but for, I think for Exeter, it, I don't think they care how they play, to be honest, when you're in a position like they are. If they get a point, happy. If they get three points, happy. Um, and I think we most of us tipped them to even go down at the start of the season. Um, obviously, as a fan-owned club, to lose money is always terrible. Um I think they rode their luck in that game a little bit, but you make your own luck sometimes. And fair, fair play, Gary Caldwell's put a little bit of a run together, given them a little bit of breathing space. Now six points clear of the bottom four. Um, and they can start hopefully looking up to finish mid-table rather than finishing in the bottom four or 20th. It's that goal difference that's the concern, isn't it? Like you said, with the, the fact they've not scored. They've got minus 19, which is the same as Shrewsbury, actually, but... Only uh, they're the only two goal differences worse than the the bottom two sides. I mean, they they can put some goals in the back of the net. That, that it's all turned around, is it? And they can be looking up rather than looking over the shoulders. Uh, yeah. Another team that needs to put some goals in the back of the net, Callum. I'm, I know you've got some hot takes about the the fact that Lincoln can't score goals at the minute. Uh, it was another goalless draw. Uh, not a bad result. A goalless draw against Derby the week before, and then Peterborough this weekend. It's the third straight draw his nine games now without a win but no losses in in three Callum no losses in three and okay you know you, you say Derby and, and Peterborough are part of that but just where are the goals coming from it, it's all right saying that you know Draper and, and Taylor are forming this partnership and they're young but at the end of the day it, it kind of feels like Lincoln is sleepwalking into this I mean, I don't want you know. I don't want to get too too ahead of it with with draws against Derby and Peterborough, but it kind of feels like Lincoln are sleepwalking towards towards the proper bottom half of the table. You know, we're, we're only three points away from from Burton, who we play at the at the weekend, who are in seventeenth. You know, it doesn't take many games now to to drop down. I was talking to a Burton fan, and they're just like. Well, I told them what well, we haven't won since since Cambridge in in November, and they're just like, "How are you still <laughs> in the top half of the table?" And I'm just thinking, "How are we?" Because everyone else is losing as well. <laughs> you know, it's all right. You know, and I, I'm, I love Scaballa. He's, he's a really nice manager, and obviously, it's his first job uh, at this at this level of football. And we've given him this transfer window, and he said that he, he still would like a midfielder, but you can you can really tell that he's struggling to. Not put his authority on the team, but really mould it into a, a side that he likes. We're starting to see it, but it's not completely there, I don't think. It's one of them. I, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic than you, Callum. I think these these past couple, uh, these two draws, they're, they're, they're promising results. I mean, the, the fact that they've not scored is is the problem. But that Derby game a couple of weeks ago, the Joe Taylor was unbelievable. He did everything but score in that game. The, the runs he were making and the pace he's got is electric and it, that'll score goals in any division. He just needs to now get to the point where he can put the ball in the back of the net at the step up from from League Two. And if he can string a couple of goals next few weeks, get himself in some form like he had at Colchester, then they're looking in the right direction. But the problem is goals and Burton at the weekend. They, they always seem to struggle against Burton. It's one of those sides, I think, for Lincoln that there always seems to be a difficult afternoon. Um, so was my first away my first away match with Lincoln was Burton away last year on uh, on Boxing Day and that notoriously went really really well for Lincoln with that 3-0 defeat on Boxing Day. Uh, I won't be oh well, I suppose I can't forget that match for for all the wrong reasons but yeah it's you say anything but score and that's the problem that he was that him and Freddie were brought in to solve and it seems to be carrying on a bit worryingly, except just a bit closer to scoring, but still not there. Boys, a bit, a bit of a, a sweepstake then on when do Lincoln get their next win? Your next four games, if you do not get a win in that, I don't know where it comes from. You've got Burton away. <laughs> okay, fine, they're a bit better now, but Fleetwood at home, Charlton away, Exeter at home. Like, you have to win one of those, surely. And if you, even if you don't, you've then got Port Vale away and Shrewsbury at home. Like, 
it can't be that far around the corner, can it? Like, which, it, it one those do you, which one of those do you win? You draw against Burton and then they'll beat Fleetwood. I I think if we draw against, but like I'd I'd expect you know with the ambitions and you know all this hype that the that Lincoln seem to generate each year, you know, saying this is the year we push for playoffs again. I'd expect a win against Burton, and if that win doesn't come against Burton, then it it has to come against Fleetwood X, and then and then you'd start to get real pressure on Scabala, and just say, look, when is this coming? Because you don't win those next three. If we don't win those next any of them next three, four, five, six games, we're really in trouble this year. And it almost feels like there's kind of this sense of naivety that Lincoln are just taking for granted League One at the moment. And I'm not saying we are, but it, it kind of feels like that. I was going to ask that. Do you actually think if Lincoln don't win their next, let's say, two or three, do you think, I know there's a commotion of teams between you and the bottom four. Do you actually think you could dragged into that bottom four battle i think so i i i I mean i don't think we will but i will seriously start to consider it if they don't pick up a win in the next three games genuine i do think that if if we don't pick up a win by charlton then something's something's i don't i don't want to say something's wrong but something's not working properly do you know what i mean I guess everything takes time, doesn't it? I'm a, I, I, I just don't think I'm. I'm maybe it's just because I'm. I'm not the the fan Callum is. I'm just not. I'm more sort of on the periphery that I'm. I can see things and I can just go. It'll be all right in a in a couple of weeks. If they they need time, I think with, with the new the stripe. I mean, they've only been playing three games now. They've had together that the, the um, Draper and Taylor up front. They've only played with each other three times. So mm. I think there's. I think it's a matter. Uh, give them a few weeks, but yeah, like you said, if they don't pick up a couple of wins in those next four, then that panic stations maybe that's where you you head over and start to worry. But um, it's an interesting one. A, a lot of teams maybe looking yeah. over the shoulders I mean, rather than up. All the right sounds are coming out of the camp. You know, you listen to the players pre and post match. You listen to the manager pre and post match, and even what you know, Clive Nates and and people have had to say like away from the matches all the right sounds are coming out from there except the three points at the weekend so i don't know we'll see we'll see by charlton and exeter whether something needs to change we've got a lot still to talk about the other side of the break we'll be talking all things transfers just before the window closes hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So time now to talk the, for the last time before the window shuts, actually, on the, the Luxport Media League One podcast. Who is going to be moving, do we think, before the end of the window? I know, Sam, you've got some some ideas about people who might be on the move before the window shuts. Right, I've got I've got a list of seven players here that I think could leave. I've got Aaron Collins from Bristol Rovers. We've got Bolton, I think, have made a bid that's been rejected. And I think Wrexham also made a bid. Um, you've got Owen Moxon because I think he's been rumoured to go to Portsmouth I've put Ronnie Edwards down because I think Crystal Palace always put late bids in because it seems to be how Crystal Palace do their business um, Derby um, Paul Warren said he's desperate to take some pressure off James Collins so I've put uh, Smith from Sheffield Wednesday and Tom mm. Eaves from Rotherham 
because they seem to like a big burly striker who's over the age of 30. Um, Cameron Brannigan from Oxford. I think that's quite an obvious one to Bristol City. Jack Marriott, who just seems to be rumoured to be going absolutely everywhere. And the last one, there's been absolutely no rumours of this from what I can see, but a player I think would improve a lot of League One teams and potentially low championship teams is Femi Aziz from Reading. With their financial situation, Mm. people could try and take advantage of someone like Femi Aziz. I think of those you've mentioned, for me, the two that I think would be probably the best signings and amongst that lot that I could see have an, an instant impact. I think if Moxon went to Pompey, I'd be um, excited to see him in you know, midfield next to players like Marlon Pack. Um, I think yeah, he, he could be really, really effective. Um, I think if Bolton was to go and get Aaron Collins, I think that's a big statement of intent. Um, like, like you said, there's bids been rejected. I think from I think Charlton about bids as well, and, as well as Wrexham. Um, I know that Dion Charles hasn't scored in the league uh, in 2024. Um, Collins has only got three goals this season, but 32 goals in his last two seasons kind of show his quality there. Um, yeah, I think if Bolton were to go and do that, that says a lot about you know their ambitions to to not only get auto to potentially win the league. Mm. Owen Moxon's one that interests me. I mean, I've, I've always liked Owen Moxon. I think if he if he can go to Portsmouth, that like you said, Ollie, that really shows up their midfield, and maybe that's sort of the the injection, that new signing, that new quality player that that'll be the thing that can tip them towards regaining some some form and some good performances. Uh, Callum, what do you reckon out of those out of those different players that we picked out? I know I like that that left field shout of, of Femi Aziz. I think you know that's that's kind of a name that you you often associate with with you know that you, you want a you want a player that that is something to talk about. Femi Aziz, I think from from the bits I've seen of him, is is that player. I just quite like the idea of of kind of like a, a shout coming from nowhere. That that Femizis one is uh, is probably the pick of the bunch from me, Sam. Yeah, he's um he's got four goals, six assists this so far this season, and he's in one of the top percentiles in terms of the league for progressive carries and successful take ons. So any any team that wants some creativity has got a bit of money behind them. I I definitely take a look at Femizis. Definitely. And uh, Jack Marriott as well interests me. I mean, at Fleetwood, they, they've made him available, haven't they? And it looks like Wrexham seems to be the landing place for him, which really surprises me. I don't, I, I don't know how there's not a League One club that wants Jack Marriott or maybe one that they've been outbidded or the money's too much from Wrexham. But it, it surprises me that he's he's dropping down into League Two if it, if it does happen. He wants was to it be a documentary. Sam, was it last week that I, that I said, it? I think, that Marriott will go to Wrexham? Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah, I don't know you know where we pulled that from, but he um, clipped it, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, wait, wait till he goes first. We like there's been some weird rumors coming out that we're also in in for him, which I don't quite know how many strikers we need at Stevenage. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we're in a weird spot though, whereby um, obviously Vidane Oliver's come in, and he is, I mean, as Steve Evans as it gets in terms of what you want from a striker <laughs> presses. It really aggressively from the front, it's burning it in the air, um, and we'll play to his strengths that Bradford weren't. Um, and then we had a bit of weird, well, Aaron Presley um came in for us and we paid money and, and, and bought him on a permanent. And he played for the first part of the season and looked brilliant and just looked again the perfect fit for our system. And whether something's gone on there that's that's made him come out of the side. But he can't get back in, um, and Kane Hemmings been, has been keeping him out, out, out and, again, performing well. But I think if we're also still looking at strikers, that someone like a Presley is probably available. Um, I don't quite know where he ends up, but, um, yeah. And like Marriott, I, I, I think that the Wrexham move kind of just makes sense to me. Um, it's, a, it's the sort of signing that they we'll be looking to make at this stage of a season, isn't it? You know, a big old statement. Let's get someone who's scored a lot of goals in the league above um, and who can, who can still score goals. I think that's the, um, that'll happen. It's the Wrexham textbook, isn't it? The, the Hollywood Wrexham has signed some, the best players from the league above. I think they, seems to be the method. Probably yeah, that's him that can afford his wages as well, because I'd imagine mm. he's on a fair whack at Fleetwood as well. And he's, I think he's, well, he's 30 now, isn't he, as well? So he's at that part of his career where most League One clubs, from what I've noticed, except Derby, it seems, look for that younger player who's a bit cheaper, who they can develop and then sell on. Um, where Wrexham, obviously, have we know they have the funds to just do what they want, quite frankly. Yeah, you you mentioned Derby. The, the, the two you brought up, Tom Evans and, 
uh, Matt Smith and the, the the division above it. Interesting to see if they do dip in the market for someone to sort of show what they're attacking ranks. Yeah, I, I think with Waghorn being injured, uh, John Jules has stayed injured for most of the season as well. They just need to take some pressure off their low, the one man they've got up front. Because if he gets injured, then I don't really know who comes in. Especially Waghorn's never had the best of injury records. John Jules has obviously come back from a long-term injury. Smith has won promotion from this league with uh, Sheffield Wednesday last season. Um, Tom Eaves has played bit part for uh, Rotherham this season, but he scored goals. I think it was for Gillingham at this level three or four mm. years ago. Um, they, and he's uh, 191 centimetres. So I think that pretty <laughs> much fits sort of how the way Derby play, bringing in Blackett Taylor and they've got Bart Cousin on the other wing. You've got Hurahan's delivery. I think that just yeah. is a match made in heaven for, heaven for set piece goals. Is Smith out of favour at Wednesday in the Championship? No, he is playing. But I think if Derby were to offer a fee for a 30, I think he's 33, 33 year old who probably doesn't have very long left on his contract. I think Sheffield Wednesday would be a bit stupid to say no. And they've got Sheffield Wednesday have that Kadda, I can't say his name, but he's got, they've got Arthur, a young kid coming. Yeah, he's, he's just come through. So it's not like they don't have someone that can readily replace him, so to speak. I think as ever with Derby, though, it's that financial situation. I know uh, Warren's been uh, Warren's been very vocal about how he uh, how he he's not restricted by the well, he is restricted, isn't he? In essence, by by the financial situation around Derby and how much they can bring in. So whether or not they can offer a fee, or they've just got to got to make do to the end of the season and just kind of hope and pray that they uh, they end up in uh, at the the right spot that they need for the end of the season. But I suppose that's. That's kind of what we all hope for, isn't it, by the end of the season? <laughs> so it's not specifically a Derby problem, not not just Derby are facing financial problems, I guess. It seems like we're not allowed to talk about League One transfers without mentioning Johnson Clark Harris. It, it, it seems like one that definitely won't be going anywhere in this window, doesn't it? That the personal terms of the issue that was talked about a couple of weeks ago now, that that deal is pretty much dead in the water, isn't it? That the personal terms are too far away for a move to Charlton in this window. Yeah, I think I think I think it still works out all right for Peterborough. They've still got one of the best number nines mm. coming off the bench, and if he gets ten, five or six goals between now and the end of the season off the bench to win them three games, for example, and pick up three draws, so you get what, thirteen points, something like that. That could be the difference between them finishing third and second. And we know what he's like at this level. Um, so, and I don't think Peterborough are cash strapped, so to speak. So I think it, in a way, might be a blessing in disguise that they actually keep hold of him. It's a weird thing at Peter, isn't it, where they always know they've got this conveyor belt of players that are going to be able to sell on for big money. And mm-hmm. so, like, you, like most clubs would be sat there ruining the fact that they're probably going to miss out on three hundred to five hundred k if they if he stays. But for them, I guess you know what Ronnie Edwards goes for half many million to to the Premier League, and it doesn't matter, does it? I guess. Mm. Before we, we, we move to, to kicking something into football, Rose Ed, before we finish, we'll talk about the different clubs we've got uh, with us here. Ollie, we'll start with you. Who, who does Stephen is need or who do you think Stephen is will want before the window comes to a close? I, I think we're in a really weird spot. I, I kind of said this at the start of January that our, our squad is very, very nicely set. Um We've made a bit of a strange move in in goal. I mean, Tayashi Hammond's been a really, really strong keeper for us. Um, was on loan for us last season, and we did well to get him on a permanent in the summer. Um, and then we've bought Craig McGilvray. I can never say his surname. McGilvray, I think it is, um, who obviously has got a lot of experience at League One. Um, and we bought him in, and he started the weekend. Um, and Evan seems to have a bit of a penchant for that this season, just trying to sort of mix things up in the goalkeeper position. It like feels a little bit unsettling, but we brought him in. Um, we needed cover at left back. Um, Dan Butler's pretty much our only option there uh, with Kane Smith out injured. So um, we brought in Nesta Guinness-Walker from Reading, um, who feels like, again, a, a solid enough option, utility option to, um, to come off the bench in a lot of different positions. Um, and then for Dane Oliver's coming up top. Um, and like I said earlier, it just feels like a, a brilliant fit for what, what we want to strive to do. We don't, we don't, we don't really lack for anything, if I'm honest. Um, and Evans is very, very vocal about not bringing players in for the sake of it. Um, and very much, he wants a certain type of personality. He wants a certain type of style. 
And unless someone's going to come in and absolutely improve either the dressing room or improve the playing side, he's not hugely interested. Um, so I think, I mean, there's been talk of us bringing maybe one more in, but that if we do so, it'll be, there'll need to be some going the other way. Um, we do have, as I mentioned earlier, um, a bit of an embarrassment of Richards up, up front. Um, I can't see Aaron Presley being happy about his lack of minutes. Um, I think Elliot List is a player who's not looked the same since he came back from another ACL injury. So there's options there potentially um, to go out the door. Um, but I, I think it will be relatively quiet um, last couple of days for us. Yeah, interesting stuff. Callum, I know you mentioned earlier that, uh, you, you, well, the, the talk is the midfielder, isn't it? An experienced mm. midfielder. Do you think that is what Lincoln needs and anything else to add to the shopping list? I think if if we've seen Michael Scavala try and move over to this 4-4-2, 4-3-3, I think he's still a bit undecided as to what system he actually wants to play going forward. I just think we need a midfielder. We we need that 30-year-old midfielder who knows League One, knows how to get a side settled and you know just gives us a bit of rigidity because it all just feels a bit too... Not all over the place, but it just feels a bit unsettled. So... Someone who can come in and not replace, you know, Arahan or Hamilton. We need that. I think we need it. We've seen Teddy kind of players as part of that three as well recently. Teddy Bishop. I think we we just need like that more box to box kind of Teddy Bishop replacement who knows how to guide these young players through the league. But I suppose what you want is is a is a goal scorer. But we've already signed to this this transfer window so it just feels like even if we signed prime Ronaldo at this point we wouldn't end up with a goal in the back of the net so who knows <laughs> yeah well the, the rumour going around isn't it is Sean McLaughlin from Newport County he's a 26 year old and when we've been talking to uh, to Michael Scabala the thing he said he wants experience and then the thing he kind of um, uh, sort of said after that was because as soon as you hear experience you go 30-year-old, been around for ages. But he sort of said experience, but someone who was 26, 27, who's been around, but isn't getting towards the end of the career. And McLaughlin fits that. He's 26. Newport County, obviously, the division below, but he's played in League One. Uh, he fits the bill perfectly, if that is what they're going in for, Callum. Yeah, he, he sounds like he does, but then it's it's what system do you fit him in? Like I say, Skabala's kind of edging towards this four four two at the moment, five uh, like almost like a four four two, five three two kind of hybrid system that you know we, we're trying to play Pep Guardiola esque at League One, which you know might not end out particularly well for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of where do you where do you fit in that that midfielder? But it, it's kind of the same with all things. If we are going for this. Five three two, then he'd he'd fit perfectly, wouldn't he? But if 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 we do go for this four four two, then I can't see him pushing out Hamilton or Arahan with how solid those two have been this season. So yeah, McLaughlin might be a good signing, uh, especially with with guiding those young players. Uh, but my my worry with Lincoln City is that we do tend to just sign League Two players and hope that they'll make that step up. At the moment, you know, we've seen it with the League of Ireland as well. We're not signing many. I know we've got Hamilton and, and Jensen in the summer. We're not signing many proven League One players. It's kind of hoping that these players can can take the step up. So League One experience would be preferential, but I suppose experience is experience. Yeah, and Sam, anything on the, the Leighton Orient watch before the end of the window? Um, just before we move on to it, I was going to suggest, before you said experience midfielder for Warsaw, I actually had a list of, a couple of League Two players that I think could make a step up. And Ryan Sturk was a midfielder from Warsaw that I picked out. Um, he's in the top percentile of midfielders for pass accuracy and chance creation, but also in the top percentile for tackles one as well. Um, so he could be your sort of box-to-box mm. option you you were after. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the thing with McClockin is that he can he's a bit more versatile. He could play on the wing if he needs to. And I think they had him playing at wing back against Man United on Monday night, Newport. And, he, they love that link and a player who can play everywhere. I mean, they had Rico Hackett, who was a, he was a winger. They've played him at striker this year. They've played him at Cam. They, they had him at wing back at the weekend. I mean, they love just playing players in yeah. unusual and different positions from their norm. And I feel that's why I'm struggling to look past uh, McClockin. But I know there's quite a few clubs in for him at the minute. So 
It will be interesting if Lincoln is the landing spot for him, but it's the, the all way signs Link, point to a midfielder. Yeah, the way Lincoln conduct their business as well, you don't really know who they're signing no. until the eleventh hour, do you? As we've discovered, Jamie, they're they're quite a tight knit <laughs> club, and credit to them, you know that their media team is is great, but it, it's they keep they keep very very well hidden their secrets, I suppose, and that's how Lincoln have always done their business. So. You know, it's not like we. There's many rumours surrounding who might be joining Lincoln at all, really. So it's kind of just doing our own scouting business, and maybe ours are very similar to to what the team at Lincoln have picked out. Um. So in terms of Orient, then we've only made two signings, and one of them was a returning Loney and Brandon Cooper. Um. They've both gone down as, and the other was a winger called Ollie O'Neill from Fulham's under academy. Um. They've both gone down as undisclosed fees, but which caused a bit of uproar in our fan base for some unknown reason that because their contracts are up at the end of the season and we've done an undisclosed fee. But an undisclosed fee could mean, right, we don't pay anything now, but if we get promoted, we pay £20,000 and we pay 20% sell-on fee. That's an undisclosed fee. A fee could be naught, but you pay our clause and that's your fee. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with the business we've done. I didn't expect us to do a lot. Um, I think Brandon Cooper coming in is is decent. He uh, was other than a mad moment against Derby, he's been he's been solid for us. It's our gives us our that four at centre backs. You've got Beckles, you've got Happy, you've got Cooper, and you've got Turns. And then Ollie O'Neill gives that versatility out wide. Um, finally, a, a, an option to replace Archibald, um, who turns out I didn't know this has no ACL in his knee, um, which is quite interesting. Um, <laughs> but he scored against us against Fulham under twenty ones. Sorry, O'Neill scored for Fulham under twenty ones against mm. us in the. Bristol Street Street Moses Trophy earlier in the season, um, so I'm I'm quite excited by it. Fulham fans seem pretty pissed off that he actually left in the first place, and that's and that's a sign you've got a good a good youngster on your hands. Um, in terms of business going on, Wellens wants one more forward player, um, but he has uh, said that if um, if this window was to shut now, he wouldn't overly be he'd be quite happy with the squad he's got. Um, I can't see the only players I can see maybe leaving is George Moncur. Um, it's not had a much game time. It's a shame it's not fully worked out for him as well as everybody hoped. Um, and that would free up some wages to maybe get a sort of the only thing I think we lack is an advanced midfielder. We're kind of playing Saturi there, who's a bit more of a poacher sort of striker. Um, and then our other creative midfielder, Ethan Galbraith, is currently playing right back and um, shining there, to be honest. Um, so if if we didn't sign anyone, I wouldn't be angry. Or upset. I think we've got a decent squad, and I'm quite happy with with how everything's gone. Yeah, we had Ethan Garbay for Doncaster a couple of years ago, and he was amazing. He was a really, really good player. Yeah, it's taken a little while for him to get going, but you're starting to see that that quality now. Why he was in a Manchester United academy? These little things. Just he sees the game very quickly, mm. but obviously that's sometimes a bit too quick for the players we've already got. But yeah, I think that brings your players to another level at the same time as well. Um, and the Dan Ajay coming back from a broken foot is the Lord and saviour. Four goals in four games. And he can do literally anything that you could want in a centre forward. He's powerful. He's quick. He can finish. He can hold the ball up. Um, and arguably should have had a couple at the weekend. But I'll forgive him. <laughs> you want my thoughts on Doncaster Rovers signings? I was on the... The South Yorkshire Sport Podcast with Seb, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, but I, I don't want to delve into Doncaster at the minute. Just awful. It's all awful. And there's no positives anywhere. <laughs> um, but the the last thing we'll talk about before we go is uh, Rose Zed. We've done this uh, a few weeks now. Um, it's like Room One Hundred One, but for football. What would you pick to send to kick to Rose Zed to get it out of the game? And Callum, as you. Are making your podcast debut. It seems only right that I'll I'll go to you first. Uh, whatever we saw at the Port Vale Portsmouth match, that just needs to go. That chase in the referee can just. It's. I think I I was kind of I, I ranted about the uh, what what we saw at the, the Black Country Derby uh, on uh, on the weekend. I also ranted about that, and it, it's kind of this very similar kind of. And I don't want to say arrogance that we're seeing from some football fans at the moment, but it's kind of it is this arrogance that a lot of football fans just assume that their opinion is the right one, and anyone who disagrees with them, whether that be opposition fans or even at that point a neutral referee, that they're wrong. 
that they deserve to be chased down and chased off the pitch is just unacceptable. I'm sure a lot of our listeners just aren't that type, and I'm sure a lot of them will just completely rightly condemn what we saw at, at both games uh, at the at the weekend. But it just uh, whatever we saw and whoever it was, I, I really hope they don't step foot in a football pitch again or on a fo- near a football ground again because it just really wasn't acceptable. I saw I saw a tweet about this at the weekend from someone that seemed to kind of try and justify what happened at the Port Vale game and saying that it was inevitable because the standard of refereeing has been so poor. Like, yeah, whoever that was, like, like, honestly, what on earth are you doing if you're trying to justify that sort of behaviour? If if you can't go to a game of football without getting so irate that you want to physically hurt someone, just fuck off and go watch something else. Like, 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 what? what, Like, honestly. I I think it's very similar where someone said about the about the West Brom Wolves match that they were the only reason they were watching it was because of the rivalry and the potential for a fight. And I'm just like, if you're not going to a football match to watch 22 people kick a ball on a piece of grass for 90 minutes plus added time, then I don't know why you're watching football because that, that's why we like the sport. Not the, you know, okay, have a have a drink, have like you know, have fun with your mates, but don't go for a fight. Go because you like watching football, and that that's all I've got to say on it. I think that that Port Vale fan should be more worried about his football club going down to League Two with their uh, their, ne- their next six games. To be honest, they've got Fleetwood, Orient, Stevenage, Posh, Cheltenham, Lincoln, and Fleetwood. So he should probably be more worried about um, his own football club than trying to boot a referee up the arse. Not that he should be able to see his side play in League Two. No, exactly. No. What are you booting into into Rose Edson? Um, I feel feel, sorry. I've taken the obvious one there. (laughs) This is why I've passed it to Sam because I'm trying to come up with something else. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with extortionate ticket prices for football. Mm. Um, It may have been one we've covered before, but I've got the memory of a goldfish sometimes. So. I'm going to go with ticket prices for football um, and the extortionate amount. Yeah, 50 quid for Sheffield Wednesday. I know clubs need to make as much revenue as they possibly can with player wages being as high as they are, but there's got to be some sort of cap. But I know the Premier League have 20 pound away games, which is brilliant. Um, But we at which are like, I'll use us as an example. I understand because we're a London club, we pay more rent we pay more ground keep and everyone everyone's costs has gone up and i completely understand that but there is the normal fan like we charged charlton on the match day 32 pound i think it was for a a game of league one football Uh, i just think that's it doesn't sit right with me um i think going down the league like premiership should be 25 quid tops league 120 and league 215 but i i do understand from a club's point of view but from a fan's point of view, it's just driving so many fans away from the football because they just can't afford. Like if you've got an adult and two kids, it's just fundamentally you can't afford to take them. And it just and that's why we have so many. I use this in inverted commas, armchair fans nowadays, because you you just can't. It's so much easier just to pay a subscription and watch the game on iFollow or in the comfort of your own home rather than going out to the ground, playing the travel costs with the unreliability of trains in this country. Um, then you match ticket, you match food, and then you've got the pain of getting home after your team's lost 4-0 as well in the pouring rain. So it's all them little things, but there's got to be a way that we can get younger fans into grounds with their families, like like do family deal or something like that, just to try and get a new generation of fans coming through the doors. Otherwise, in 10 years, football grounds may be empty because we didn't have that generation of fans coming through, especially in the lower leagues, where you've got your big clubs talking of Super League and all this, we need to keep the younger fans in the lower leagues and keep them wanting to support their local team rather than the big club they see on the TV every week. Yeah, You've got to make it as easy as possible, aren't you? Yeah. Um, for fans and accessible. Uh, you've sort of you've talked about fans not being able to, to go for different reasons. I'm going to complain about some of the fans that do go to games, just for, for a bit of balance maybe. Uh, and the people who get up while the game's in play and make you stand up so they can walk out to get a drink or a pie or something. <laughs> just wait till it's gone From out. From the serious to the inconvenient. Like, just wait till the ball's gone out. And I don't mind. I mean, I, I watch a lot of ice hockey. When you go to the ice hockey, you can't get up 
until the puck's um, out of play and there's a stoppage. I mean, it happens more often in ice hockey. It's out. There's lots of stoppages and there's restarts, the sort of thing. But you're not. You can't move while it's in play. And I think we need that in football because the amount of times you have to stand up and you're like peering around someone, yeah. trying to to see as someone stood up in front of you. And um, yeah, that's one of my pet peeves uh, for for watching football games. Not an issue in the press box at, at Lincoln Callum when you're sat in front of me, but an issue when I'm at Donny games sometimes. But... God, I can't remember the last time I went to the Lincoln City press box. It's been a while. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. It's been yeah. A, been a on your point, we've got a geezer who sits in my row at Orient and he will purposely go up the wrong set of stairs and inconvenience <laughs> as many people as he possibly can and squeeze past you. It's like you've got a set of st- he sits like four seats in from the other side. So he'll walk <laughs> down to the other set of stairs, walk up and then inconvenience everyone that sits down. And he'll do it at exactly three o'clock when the game's just about to kick off. It's like, quick, move out the way. It's the quickest route to the pie in pint, so don't blame yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, what about yourself? Uh, coming up, this with a bit of a steamy chat on, actually, um, and probably a fair bit of recency bias. Um, I would just like to get rid of the statement of that's not how football should be played. It absolutely. And like, again, I've obviously experienced this a lot as a steamish fan, as we tend to have liked a manager with a direct approach. But I cannot stand opposition fans who have just been beaten in games of football <laughs> trying to take some sort of weird moral high ground about the style of football they play. I, I just don't really get it. Um, I mean, I, I have to say, like the best, probably the best thing about being a fan of a Steve Evans side, apart from being obviously really good, um, is is the how I rate opposition. At the end of the games. <laughs> well, <laughs> is how I rate opposition fans get at losing yeah. to him. I mean, there's been Wigan fans all over Twitter whinging about it all week, all weekend. Like people have been saying that that Evans gets all decisions from officials, which is bonkers. Um, <laughs> there was Wigan fans this weekend spent so much time complaining about our style of play and how it was anti-football. Just some stats from 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 League One in general and that game. Wigan have the worst disciplinary record in the entire of League One. They've had twelve more yellow cards than any other side. They've had 50% more than Stevenage's entire total. They also, on Saturday, played more long balls than Stevenage. They had 71 and we had 68. So, like, I just, like, this kind of arrogance that football fans have that because they take a short goal kick, they should win games of football. It does my head in. Like, I, like if, you, if you can't have an appreciation for, like, a different tactical approach and a different way of setting up, um, yeah, like, like Matt, Matt, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's Pep, Pep's fault for coming over and making everyone decide to play out from the back. But yeah, that the whole kind of notion that there's one way to win games of football, um, yeah, I'd, I'd get rid of. I love it. I'm, I'm well on board with that. I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather play awful and win than play amazing and lose. I mean, that's the the, the points is all the thing that matters at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's all we want, right? I say that to people all the time. Like when when, when managers get you know when people cite the style of play as a reason to want him rid of a manager. That's not the reason. You, you, you're not winning games of football. You know, when you're winning games of football, no one cares what, how you play. Like, I couldn't, couldn't care. If we win every single game 1-0, having 1% possession off, off my striker's ass, I <laughs> am absolutely delighted. Like, I'll pay every week. I don't I need to go and watch. Lost 5-0, but the passing out from the back was good. So it's all oh, right. lovely, yeah. <laughs> I think it's well, that I thing. Will... When, you're, when you're playing well you kind of forget what style of football you're playing. You're winning games. Nobody cares what style of football. It's when you're losing games. If you don't play attractive football, football is the problem. Get rid of me. Someone to play attractive football. And they cover it and still lose the games. But it's like, oh, well, we've got a clear identity and we're playing football. And it's like, you're still shit. You're still 19th in the league or whatever. But You're sounding like a Lincoln fan. <laughs> I, I, I read a, I read a report at the weekend that said something uh, from from that game, and it was someone saying, "Oh, you know, there was a, a constant aerial bombardment from Stevenage." Well, yeah, because we bloody beat you doing it. Like, what, like, what do you want us to do? Oh, play something that's not going to beat you. Like, ah, uh, can't can't. I will, I, I will counter that point and just say it is sometimes fun to laugh at Steve Evans, but oh, that's oh it is. Yeah, I, I play Steve Evans bingo. Whenever they lose, I will play Steve <laughs> Evans bingo. Of what's going to come up? And usually it's either blame referees, blame the weather or something like that, just because it's a laugh. The ground was too soft. It's a, a lovely note to end on. I'm, I'm well on board with with the play any style of football. I, I'm really like that, yeah. So, 
Uh, thank you, everyone, for, for watching on YouTube and listening wherever uh, you listen to your podcast. And thank you to Sam, Ollie, and Callum for, for joining me today. Uh, hopefully, you can join us next week for another League One podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.